You're listening to the Writers Forum, and I'm your host, Mike Tusa. Today, I'll be speaking with authors Argita and Detina Zali about their new book, Good Morning Hope. The book chronicles their families desperate fleeing from Albania during its civil war and their ultimate landing in England. The twin sisters are now both research scientists and teachers, and they have founded We Speak Science to assist disadvantaged students, as well as Aphrodita Inc., a nonprofit that helps cancer patients through psychosocial support and counseling. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you so much for um, having us, Michael. Thank Good. you very much. Well, can we start with a little history and geography? Uh, the book begins with the two of you. Uh, as young girls living with your family in Albania right before its civil war. Argita, Argita, for listeners who may not be familiar with the country, where is Albania? Um, So Albania is a small country on southeastern Europe, uh, Balkan Peninsula. So it's it's close to Italy and and Greece. yeah, so it's it's a lovely country, Mediterranean kind of climate, and well, good. We should have all met. I'm Sicilian on both sides, so we should have met somewhere in the process. You never know, right? <laughs> all right, and it, it was at one time part of the Ottoman Empire, right? Yes. Okay, indeed. and then it, as I understand it, having done a little research, it declared its independence from the Ottoman Empire around 1912 or 1913. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. All right. And it was under communist rule for a brief period of time, correct, Argita? That's correct. Yes, you're okay. very All right. right. You've done right. Your- so let's, let's talk about the book. Talk to me about the title, Datina. Where does the title of the book come from? Well, the title of the, group, uh, of the book mainly came from the hope that we always needed throughout our journey. Uh, it was a very difficult journey, a journey that we had never imagined as readers who will read the book will understand. And um, throughout the journey and throughout our life, all we needed was some hope. And um, Good Morning Hope came from the idea that um, hope was the only thing keeping us alive. Hope was the only thing pushing us forward. Hope was the luck, if we, can, if we may call it so, that we needed when um, we felt um, going under the dark tunnel. So through hope, we saw that um, light at the end of the tunnel that made us so to never surrender and never give up. And, you know, it struck me having read the book. um, It's a great metaphor for what you guys went through and the perseverance that your father and your mother, and I'm going to talk about those a little bit with you, uh, showed throughout this process. And, you know, I think good books, of course, have universal themes. And this is a theme that would resonate with anyone who's got certain backgrounds that they've struggled through or immigrant backgrounds or whatever. All right. So, the book starts around the beginning of the Civil War, okay? Argita, can you talk briefly about what the cause of the Civil War was? Because I was actually surprised when I learned some of the details. Yeah, so, um, I mean, as I remember being around 11 years old at the time, um, a lot of people in Albania um, lost their savings in these pyramid schemes. And um, there was... People were outraged. They were so angry and they protested against the government um, because this is all they had. And everybody from being someone went to being no one. 
they couldn't afford for to, to, to keep their families alive you know um, econ economic economically that was one of the problems but also politically you could I remember being 11 years old at the time that my friends had a gun so the friends that I used to play with I was scared from you know you never know what to expect you were scared to talk to people there was no rules school yeah. was interrupted for a long time so it was it was a very it was a very dangerous situation politically speaking where ev everyone felt unsafe and people were looking for other ways to find a brighter future and, and the, the the pyramid scheme if i'm understanding correctly and please correct me if i'm wrong was actually something set up by the government right exactly so i remember when i was a kid i was you know my my, my everybody had some money saved in this pyramid scheme and what happened at the end of the month um, the percentage of the money that they got from that was quite big compared to other banks. Um, so people were like, oh, let's put all our money there because we're going to get rich. Eventually, that lasted only a few years and then it collapsed. And then that's where people found themselves in this terrible situation. And the Civil War started, again, correct me if I'm wrong, around 1997. Is that's that correct? correct? Okay. Correct. All right. Now, in reading the book, um, you all describe uh, to Tina, there, there are like rebels, there are gangs that are roaming the street or whatever. Uh, who were these? Who were these folks? Were they organized in any way? Uh, were, well, I think these were initially ordinary people who became extraordinary, but not in good terms. And um, these were people who were very angry with the government, with the society, because they had lost all their money in the Ponzi schemes. And the only way to get the money back was threatening other people, which is, of course, not the right thing to do. And um, I have to say that Albania was very desperate. Everybody was desperate during uh, that period. And um, everybody kind of lost their identity. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know what they were doing. All they knew that was that they were, we were pretty much all in this dark tunnel, everyone looking for a way to go out of the country. And many people tried leaving Albania with speedboats, with trucks, with anything that they can find just for a better future. I got gotcha. you. And let me ask you this, Argita. Do you remember discussions with your parents at all about the decision to flee? Or was it just because y'all were so young, was it just presented to you that this is what we're going to try to do? Oh, yeah. I remember I was part of every discussion. This was my hope as well. You know, being a kid of 11 years old, and what I used to do is when I used around 8 p.m. at summertime, I used to look at the stars in the sky and I used to pray and say, oh, my God, let's let's hope our parents find a way to go to America or Canada or somewhere outside Albania because, you know, it wasn't safe there. So I, I was part of it. We lived with that dream. Now, before your family actually flees Albania, I was really struck by this. Your father has an incident at his work with a gang that kind of breaks in and really shows how resourceful a man he was. Talk to me a little bit about that, Bettina. Yeah, I mean, we did not know this until very late because our dad didn't share um, the story with us. But yeah, it was um, it was a very dangerous situation. You know, people would threaten you, would put a gun, you know, uh, above your head and they would tell you to do things. And sometimes these were drunk people um, they were desperate people. They didn't know what they were doing. They, all they wanted is their 
to get the money back, the money that they lost. They forgot that the community and the other people had nothing to do with it and we were all losing. And um, it was a very scary, you know, uh, situation. But my dad is, um, is a very, um, a very, not because he's my father, but he's a, a really, really good man. He always helps others and he's very calm. He knows how to manage situations and he was the excellent example of how to overcome this dangerous situation because he did not react. He remained quiet. He um, tried to reason with them. And in the end of the day, um, yeah. And they came, yeah. just so it's clear for listeners, they actually came to his place of work, right? And, they and did. They were going to steal whatever. And then he came up with an idea that kind of derailed them, right? Yes, 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 yes. Tell me about that. Well, um, they wanted to steal the computers from uh, from from the work that he was in, and um, um, he thought of a way. I don't want to discover all the book, but he thought of a, of a very smart way of trying to tell them that the computers did not work, that um, they were useless, they didn't cost money, and then he tried to give them something else in return and to keep them happy. And you know. Um, he outsmarted them in a way, and um, nothing happened to him, and he was safe. And he saved the computers. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> they were no. those computers were very precious in Albania at that time. Nobody yeah. had computers in Albania; only very few people. So those computers were among the first. Okay. Now, just so it's clear for listeners, y'all didn't just immediately leave. There were several attempts to try to leave the country, um, aborted attempts, we might say. Argita, how did these failings, because that's really what they were, how did they affect the family? How did they affect you guys? Oh, they were heartbreaking. You know, every time we had uh, discussions about new ways of trying to flee and that that was unsuccessful, you know, I was very heartbroken as a child, I remember, and I just didn't want, I was too scared to look for another way, in a sense, because I knew that it could have, it would fail, possibly. And of course, we were not rich. In Albania, we uh, we did not know many many people. As in, my dad was highly respected man, but the people who found these ways were illegal. You know, people who were dealing with you know um, mafia. So we were completely on a different side. So nobody would would help us. So eventually, we found a doctor who was willing to uh, who who had this who had been working with this illegal group that provided visas for, for people to move to other countries. But of course, he lied to us as well. The doctor lied to us because he said, everything is safe. You have regular visas. You will go to, um, for example, UK by plane. And we didn't know what was waiting for us until we left the house with four luggages. And they told us, where do you think you're going? Forget about the plane. You're not going to to UK by plane. There are other ways of doing this. And we were shocked. Yeah, you know, it, this is the typical, I guess for people that are not familiar with it, the typical immigration story for refugees and that. You, you're not really sure where you're gonna end up. You're not really sure the people you're dealing with are reputable in any conceivable way. So you tried, there's several attempts to try. Money becomes an issue, right? And how did that get solved? I thought that was interesting in the book. Yeah, well, we, we borrowed about $12,000 from family members. My gosh, I remember as if it was yesterday, my dad looking to meet my uncles, looking to meet, <clears throat> you know, his relatives. And it was so difficult for him to, to ask them to, 
to borrow money. He never did that before. So it was so hard for him, but yet he did it because he needed to for, for us. And of course, some people did, did not want to, to give us money and some didn't because they were like, how are you going to give me the money back? You have two little kids. You don't, the, the amount of money you, you're gaining from your job is ridiculously low. So how are you going to make those money if I give it to you? Yeah. What if the if the journey to UK doesn't is not successful? What then? So yeah. The Tina, um, but, but I, your father was remarkable, and that comes across in the book that he just never gives up, and I I think people can really identify that with that. Describe though the the journey that ultimately get, ends up in England, because people may be falsely believe that somehow you did end up flying from Albania to England. That's not what happened, right? No. So initially we were told um, by this group that we got connected that um, you would be traveling by plane from Tirana, which is the capital of Albania, to London, which uh, of course is in England. And the day that we were meant to travel, we go to the airport with our passports and they told us, what are you doing here? And my dad then responded, what do you mean? Today we leave for England, as we discussed previously. And they said, no, um, there is no way you can travel to the UK by airplane. And they told us, uh, this was the big, um, the first lie, the first big shock for us. And then they told us that they explained the situation, that it's impossible, they will recognize that your visas are not for the UK, so you need to go to travel there by um, by a ferry, a little ferry, which was like a boat, really. And this is what we did. So we initially went to Italy. We took the ferry and we went to Italy. And in Italy, um, the, the Italian authorities that um, obviously look at the visas um, said to my father, you can pass, because my father had this Schengel visa and my mom had the, the business visa. But the visa she had had two little children on it. So they told her, what are you doing in business with two children and your passports expires in two days? Are we trying to believe that you really are here for a business trip when your passport expires in two days? So it was there when Argita and I spoke for the first time Italian. We didn't even know that we spoke Italian that well, to be honest. So we had to fight nail with tooth with Italian authorities to to convince them that these passports were, you know, regular, the visa was regular, everything was fine. And um, they were very surprised by how insistent and persistent we were and how good we spoke Italian, that, um, that in the end they told us, go quickly before we change our minds. <laughs> so then you, you get into Italy, and from Italy, how do you get to England? And from... From Italy, then we, we, then we took the, um, a train. We went from Bari in Italy to Milan. From Milan, we took a train to go to Paris. And in Paris, um, the, there was a man who was expecting, which was part of the group, who was expecting to wait for us. But we see no one there. So it was 12 o'clock in the night. We spoke no French. We didn't have any money with us. Um, we didn't know where we're going. Uh, the man was not showing up to pick us up. So it was a very, very stressful situation. The only thing that we understood that I remember as it was yesterday was very young people coming to us with drugs and asking us, do you want drugs? Do you want drugs? And it was the first time that we really 
shocked us because we had never seen drugs in our life and um, so it was a it was a desperate situation and then we later learned that the guy who was meant to show up, up to to um to pick us up showed four to five hours later something like this and he told us that quickly here i am the police is following me <laughs> you need to come with me now or you will remain here and uh, this was a second big shock for us because we did not know who we were dealing with. And then later he explained to my father that he had problems with the police. He was a drug dealer, which is a big thing to us, you know. We didn't want to mix up with them and that the police was after him. So can you imagine if the police caught him with us, we would be in trouble too. Yeah. All right. So let's jump ahead a little bit in the, in the narrative. You do finally, thankfully, end up in England, right? And in reading the book, I guess the first thing that struck me was you get enrolled in school, the two of you, but your reception there by other students is not very kind. Argita, talk a little bit about that. And in particular, I was struck by the fact that y'all made a decision, you and Datina made a decision not to tell your parents about that. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a harsh reality, you know. In Albania, it was so controversial as well. In Albania, we, you know, we're trying to leave Albania for a better life. You know, you used to dream of Mickey Mouse rulers and bags that we could have never had. And then once we are in England, we see a completely different reality from what we had imagined. A very cold reception from the young people. We had no friends. I remember being alone and spending my birthdays in a very dark place with my sister, just the two of us. Although we, we had only one friend, I would say, one or two. Um, and, and, um, so they, they mistreated you. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. They, they did mistreat us and there was a lot of bullying going on. We were the, one of the first refugees in, in the small town of Folkestone, you know, so that was a big deal for them as well. They never, you know, they had never been refugees before. So we also, we were twins people. People would find that, oh, no, it, it's two of them. So we were very good uh, at school as well. We were we, we did study hard and we were competing and we getting the best grades. Obviously, that was there was a lot of, you know, jealousy, I think. Jealousy. Yeah, sure. Jealousy as well. So how did but how did the two of you come to the decision not to tell your parents what was going on? I was struck by that. Well, because because we felt like there was absolutely nothing they could do because every the moment we stepped into England, we became the parents of our parents. We took so many responsibilities. We started working at the age of 13. We started acting as interpreters for my parents and for many Albanians, um, went to the social services appointments, um, translated with solicitors, GP appointments. So there was a lot of things going on. Also, we had this IND, which is an identification document that expired within six months. So my parents were too busy to figure out a way of staying in England because we had no future. We thought they were going to return us back to Albania like they did with many Albanians. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and, and at school we thought, well, there's no, but this is the list of our problem. We're dealing with too much. And this wasn't uh, this wasn't the priority. That's how we saw it. 
it, you know, in reading it, what struck me, however, was how I'll use the word mature. The two of you were not to add this additional burden to your parents after everything that they had been through. That's how it struck me. But let's jump ahead again, though, because you do kind of get your own revenge since both of you are PhDs and and you go on and um, both become scientists. I understand that, Tina, you have a PhD in cell biology and Argit, do you have one in immunology? Is that correct? Yes. All right. Yes. I'm going to ask each one of you, what it is about those fields that drew you to them? Detina, what is it about the field of cell biology that, I mean, yeah. that drew you to them? Yeah. Well, I think mainly because I wanted to understand more about um, how to treat cancer. You know, cancer is a disease that's spreading worldwide. In the UK, for example, the statistics and data are changing dramatically. One in two people in the UK, believe it or not, throughout their lifetime will have cancer. So I wanted to find a solution to this problem. And um, to do this, I had to do a PhD in cell biology. I had to work with some of the world-class leaders. I had the honor to work at Harvard University, leading a lot of oncology courses, including with Nobel Prize laureates. So... um, this is something that really interested me um, to find um, a solution to make my contribution to this field as much as I could. And Argita, you ended up in immunology, a related field. What is it about that that, that attracted you? Well, I've always been very passionate about medicine and also science and about treating the autoimmune diseases. Very passionate about the curiosity by curiosity and innovation. And, and that's what, what uh, drove me to study immunology. Um, I mean, when it comes to immunology, it's linked with every other disease, with cancer and every other sort of disease that you might think of. Um, and I had an amazing project, worked with one of the heroes of immunology when I was doing my PhD in Birmingham and had the luck and the amazing opportunity of uh, working with the Nobel Prize laureate and highly respected professors in the in the field of um, um, psychobiology as well. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a psychological suggestion, and y'all can tell me I'm wrong, okay? But what struck me was, and, and this is my suggestion, that you pick professional fields that deal with treating diseases of the human body, trying to cure these, and that perhaps that grew out of your desire to cure the human politic as a whole of the disease or the type of disease you saw in Albania and elsewhere. All right, Tatina, I'm gonna throw that at you. Yeah, so that's a very, very good analysis. You know, um, as we know, we live in a world now where people are a lot more stressed than they used to be many, many years ago. And nowadays people are expected to do many things, you know, to overcome any challenges as well as excel academically or their workplace. And this obviously causes a lot of stress to the human body. And this may explain also why more people are, you know, um, um, are going through difficult situation or there are more diseases around because stress is a major factor. And with regards to politics, it's a very difficult situation, to be honest. I think as a child, I always wanted to solve the problems of others. Um, and um, but, but it's very it's very difficult. As we know, change cannot come from one person change should come from a community of people, um, a good team working together towards a very, you know, um, 
a very good call. And uh, Albania is not a place that is used to be in 1997, 1999. It's a lot, a lot better. But um, a lot of young people are moving away from Albania. And immigration is a big problem, as you may have heard in the UK, because there are not many opportunities. And I really hope that these opportunities can come from the government in the future. Yeah, in fact, I, I think I read today Kosovo is about 90% Albanian right now, and they've yeah. got some serious violence problems. All right, Argita, yeah. I'm going to cut you off from answering that one because I got another one for you that I'm curious about. So you, we see many people fleeing countries, their home countries now, okay, uh, for possible better terms. Since both of you lived through the trauma of fleeing your country and all that that entailed, I wonder if you can comment on how that type of trauma witnessed as a child can have an effect on that child, the rest of that child's life, the rest of your life. I mean, um, I have to say we had an amazing childhood in Albania. Despite everything, mm -hmm. we had a very amazing childhood because we were a community that bonded together. I remember I had a lot of friends my age. Uh, we used to have a wonderful childhood because we have used to have a healthy routine and used to play together in the evenings, volleyball or basketball or football, which unfortunately nowadays kids don't, don't do. We were also, um, we were embracing the problems that the country lived with, that my family lived with, that made us even closer to mom and dad. Um, and because they used to share with us their worries, and uh, we understood them better. If, if I had to compare, you know, my childhood with my kids, for example, nowadays, it's a completely different, completely different childhood because I was mature at a very young age. And, and nowadays, you know, kids like to play with iPads and all sorts of games. We didn't have that, but there was that strong sense of community. I think what has affected me mostly is uh, rather than the situation in, in Albania, uh, I think I was mostly affected by my teenage years in the UK. That was what affected me mentally, psychologically, because I was thrown in the deep end and I was told to live a life that I did not choose. So I chose a better future, but I didn't choose the current life that I was living. I had no idea that I was going to become the parent of my parents and take all those responsibilities. I remember working at 13 years of age and uh, the boss of hotel told we were 16. We used to, we, we used to wear um, high heel, high heel trainers to pretend that, you know, we were experienced. We knew what we were doing so he could get out, give us the job so we can help our parents um, save the money so they, they could pay um, our relatives back in Albania for what they had borrowed. But the other thing that kind of is with me is the fact that we were bullied a lot at school. And uh, the way it has affected me is that sometimes when I meet people, uh, at least for many years, I wasn't, confi I wasn't confident about whether they would like me or not. And I always thought, what, what if they don't like me or I don't know. So I was very reserved. It made me very reserved person and not very open. I mean, when I was talking to my colleagues like uh, the other day about Albania and the situation and where I was from and, and, and the book, they were like, 
you tell us you're not confident, you're the most confident person in this place. They could not believe it. And they yeah. thought I was very open, but inside of me, I, I'm not that person. So they see a total different person from what I what I am. Yeah. yeah. Detina, did you know this about Argita? That this was something she struggled with? Yes, because I struggled with the same thing. So this is something that followed me throughout my my life, you know, that some of the things, some of the scars stay with you forever. And uh, this is, I think, what we have gone through, you know, that's why they say you have to have a happy childhood, you need to make sure you have happy teenage years, because otherwise it will affect you. And undoubtedly, it has affected both of us. Well, let me ask you this, since you're both scientists, I assume you are familiar with something called epigenetics. Of course, yeah. Okay, so you know where I'm going. Yeah. Um, Epigenetics, I'm going to ask you, one of you to give the definition. In fact, I'll ask the Tina if you'll give the definition of that. How do you, as a parent, having gone through what you've gone through, make sure that that does not get passed, that trauma or that sense of trauma does not get passed on to your children? Well, just for the audience in scientific terms, and I hope I, I make this clear, um, Epigenetics is a study of how um, your behaviors and the environment can cause change that affects how your gene work. So for those of you who are not very familiar with, with, with the term. So with regards to our kids, you know, we try to give them um, a happy childhood. You know, we try to make sure that they are happy, that we try to teach them confidence. Um, although we, I have to say that... Um, but, but at the same time, we also try to teach them that you have to work to get things because you know how our kids these days, I want that and I want that. So um, we try to, to give them a lot of love. We spend a lot of time with our kids. We are very present moms. So we, um, um, if we know that our, our, when our kids are um, come back from school, we really dedicate all our time to them. And um, yeah, we, we try to to teach them, um, you know, confidence. And we also try to teach them empathy for others. Our kids, for example, my son always, uh, my, my son DL always tells me, mom, I want to give this toy to the children in Africa. Can we give it now? And I have to explain to him that we have to fly to Africa and, and all these things. So um, they are very empathetic children. So that's that. And this is great because that for folks that might be listening, that's the solution for any parent that has been through trauma at, to make sure that it doesn't get passed on to their parents. All right. Let me I have to close. Uh, about to run out of time. I have one more question for you. When I have interviewed um, other individuals whose either their parents have immigrated or were refugees or they themselves were refugees about their book, there's always this desire to return home that they talk about that just kind of hovers over, uh, even if that's not possible, even if it's very clear that you can't go back. It's kind of an unfulfilled dream. I know that you've lost both of your parents. Was that true for them, that they hung on to that dream of returning to Albania, Argita? Um, well, I have to say my dad is, is fine. So he. Oh, I'm sorry. I, he was, I guess he was very ill the last time we were set. So um, sorry. No, it's, it's okay. And uh, we used to, we go to Albania often. I think okay. this is, we, we do go, we go there, especially, yeah, my parents. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's where we grew, where we learned, as I've described in, in the book, uh, what the word love meant, what the, 
generosity and when we lived learned how you know we were brought up so and all our relatives are there like uncles aunties and so, so you're so you are able to return yes yes we are we have we are british citizens um so we are able to return we yeah so we've left albania for almost 25 years now right but we got the british citizenship about 18 years ago so we have been able to go back and all our relatives well unfortunately that's all the time i have for today uh folks you've been listening to the writers forum and i've had the privilege of speaking with argita and danita zali about their new book good morning hope it's available amazon and elsewhere please pick it up ladies is there a website or other social media that folks can go to to learn more about you, to learn more about the book, Datina? Yes, they can uh, find us at thezalitwins.com. They can also find us on LinkedIn by typing our names and also at We Speak Science, which is our um, organization. So it's enough for them to Google our names and they will find a way of finding us. Okay, and Zali is, for those listening, is Z-A-L-L-I. Ladies, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Michael.